0: Well, good morning. I do want to say welcome back. Some of you have been on vacation. Some of you have been on friendship vacation. All right, you know what I'm talking about? That's all right. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, we are jumping into kind of a one-week standalone message called Ready to Lead. Um, before we do that, I do want to say uh, thank you to those of you that came out last week to our church picnic. How many of y'all had a good time last week? It was amazing, wasn't it? I loved it. It was awesome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing um, all the goods that you did for Sacks of Love and Love, Serve, Give. Um, Man, it was amazing. As a church, we uh, are doing a lot of good. So uh, thank you for your participation in that last week. Uh, I do want to also, before we jump into today's sermon, I want to kind of promo something that we're doing um, for the month of July. You know, um, as I'm coming in, we're jumping into a series in the month of July. And what I like to do personally um, is to do something a little different during the summer, do something a little um, fun and kind of, not that every week isn't fun, right? Um, but do something a little bit, shake it up during the summer. Um, how many of you, can I ask you this, how many of you are like me and you love movies? Anybody in the room love movies? Okay. All right. So we're going to jump into a series for the month of July called God on Film. And I'm excited for this because, um, man, God is a storyteller, and the the modern-day parable is the movie. And uh, I love movies, and I think in every movie you can see echoes of the greatest story, the redemption story of Jesus. And so for the next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to be in a series called God on Film. We're going to take a look at... I mean, there's some pretty incredible movies out this summer. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, we're going to look at four different movies over the next four weeks. And we're going to see what each of those movies has to say about what God is like. And so I'm pumped because I love movies. You all know that, right? Uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, it's a great opportunity if you have friends that you want to invite. Maybe they don't do the church thing very often or they're skeptical about even stepping into a building with a bunch of weirdos like us, right? This is an easy way to invite folks into uh, this experience that we have every Sunday morning as we gather as God's people. So uh, I just want to plug that and ask you to be here for when you're not traveling, you're not on vacation over the next few weeks, all right? So God on film, that will start next week. So today we are finishing, uh, or we're starting, they're doing this one week message sermon called Ready to Lead because uh this is this is week number two for me here at Friendship, and uh, as I've been thinking about leading and as God has called us here, um, a few things go through my mind. Like number one, being called to lead this church is so exciting. I mean, I'm so excited to be here. It's really this idea of like, man, I'm ready. Let's do this. This has been in the works for a while. It's been a call that I believe God has had on my life for some time, and so. So being called to lead here is exciting, um, but also I want to say it's an honor and a privilege. Like you're kidding, I I get to do this. I'm still amazed by that. Uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm humbled. I'm honored. Um, it's 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 also extremely humbling. As in like the closer we've gotten to to being here and now being here, it's kind of like hold up, can I do this? <laughs> can I actually do this? I, and I love. I'm a leadership junkie. I love reading books and and. And blog posts and everything I can about leadership. In fact, I'm, I'm right now going through a book called Extreme Leadership. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's written by two Navy Seals. Uh, and it's an incredible. It's an incredible read. So if you ever drive by the church one day and you see our staff doing like an obstacle course out on the parking lot, you know, Keith doing an army crawl or something, um, you'll know that I drank the Kool-Aid and I'm all, I'm all in. Um, I love leadership. Um, and and the older I've gotten, the more I've matured in my faith, the more I've realized that, man, all of life is really about leadership. We're all affected by it. Uh, In fact, I want to read a verse to you to start. Hebrews 13, verse 17, the writer says here to believers, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And he's speaking about spiritual leaders in particular here, as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So what this is saying is obey your leaders, submit to them. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls. Now, this is why it's really humbling for me as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, because what, what this tells me is that in my role, I am a watchman for your souls. You know what a watchman did In in Bible times, a watchman was positioned on a a kind of watchtower and they would watch over the city. And if they saw any threat of attack, if anything was imminent coming upon the city, that watchman would sound the alarm to say, hey, danger is coming. Get ready. Be ready to defend yourselves. And my role as a pastor is a watchman for your souls. In other words, when I see danger coming... When I see something that is lurking in your life or on our life as a family, I'm responsible to sound the alarm. And that's incredibly humbling. That's a big responsibility. That is not something I can do alone. That's why we have pastors and leaders, not just staff members, but leaders who who work jobs and lead in this place that's why it's so important that's why in exodus 18 moses was trying to lead the whole nation of israel millions of people and his kind loving caring father-in-law does what every good father-in-law does he came and said moses stop being an idiot (laughs) what are you doing trying to lead all these people on your own you need help you need to become a leader of leaders and and we see this idea of leadership all throughout scripture Uh, I will give an account to God for my leadership of this church, and so this is a big deal to me. Um, and I want to I want to be able to do it with joy because the Scripture says if I'm able to give an account to God with joy, that means it's been a benefit and a value to you. And so, so when we when we talk about being ready to lead, um, I want to give you this morning some thoughts on leadership um, that I that are my commitment to you and. What I would encourage to be your commitment as you lead others. Because leadership is such a big deal. In fact, I I read this this post. It came across my feed this week. Uh, We can put this graphic up. Um, Here's the headline. Dozens of drivers got stuck after blindly following Google Maps into a mud pit. (laughs) I mean, mean, if that's not clickbait, I don't know what is. I was like, i got to read this. This is amazing. And what you find is, is in Denver... Um, there was a road, there was an accident that cut off traffic to the Denver International Airport. And so what people did is they flipped on Google Maps, which suggested an alternate route. And you know what they did? They just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that way. I'm going to follow Google Maps. And this is what one of the ladies said in this article. She said, I thought maybe there's a detour and pulled it up on Google Maps. And it gave me a detour that was half the time, Connie uh, is told at CNN, It was 43 minutes initially, and it was going to be 23 minutes instead. So I took the exit and drove where they told me to, all right? She's just following the lead of Miss Google Maps, right? But that detour led her to a dirt road near the border of Denver and Aurora. She wasn't immediately concerned, thanks to crowd psychology, all right? here's what that means. My thought was, well, there's all these other cars in front of me, so it must be okay, right? All right, This is that whole line as a parent that you use. like, If everyone was jumping off a bridge, would you? If everyone else is, it must be okay. Sure, I would do it. Then the dirt road turned into a muddy slop as there had been rain in the area the previous days. That's when I thought she said, oh, this was a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, right? And it ended up coming into this like one lane deal. And so you see this whole line of cars, and I think this is hilarious. This is like... This is the epitome of what Jesus taught about the blind leading the blind, right? Sorry, Jack, no offense, but (laughs) this this is the picture of it. Hey, if everyone else is doing it, I'm going to follow right along. Leadership affects all of us. It affects all of us because, first of all, we are all under authority, right? From the moment we're born all the way through life, leadership affects all of us because we're all creatures under authority. First of all, the authority of God But then every single one of us has human authorities that we are to submit to. Some of you, um, you hold a a vocational leadership role. Maybe you're a teacher or a coach or a manager or a boss. Uh, Maybe you're in in civil authority. Uh, Whatever the case, some of you are in a vocational leadership role. Some of you have a relational leadership role, which means you're a mom or you're a dad or uh, you are a grandparent or you are a friend, you are a mentor to somebody else, you have influence over somebody else, so you have a relational leadership role. Some of you in this room have a ministry or what I would call a servant leadership role. Maybe you lead a small group or a class uh, or a ministry area. There's all kinds of of leadership roles uh, that we see in, in the context of life. And the Bible speaks about leadership often. I mean, very often. Sometimes it's in general terms. Uh, often it's directly to spiritual leaders. But, and, and, and very often, specifically directly to pastors, uh, elders in the church. And, and this is a role that is, is all of those roles combined. It's a vocational role. It's a relational role. It's a ministry role. Um, it includes all of those. But, you know, whatever area of leadership you may have in your life, Every time God speaks in the scriptures, there's something for us to learn and to apply. Even when he speaks directly to pastors, okay? You may not be a pastor or an elder or a spiritual leader, but here's the truth is the scripture, it, it may not all be written to us, but it's all for us. So there's, there's things that we can learn in there, okay? And so this morning, uh, ready to lead, we're going to talk about this. I, I have a picture uh, in my office. My office, so you know, my office is now settled. Everything is good there. At home, it's not settled. Uh, but there's a picture I have in my office, and we have a picture uh, of my picture, <laughs> and this is hanging on my wall. And this is a list uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's what, what could be known as the qualifications of an elder or a pastor, uh, other synonymous terms in the scripture, overseer, bishop. Uh, these... In 1 Timothy 3, it lays out these qualifications for a spiritual leader, something that I think is good for every leader. And so I have this hanging in my office because it uh, is a reminder to me of, uh, it's kind of like guardrails for my leadership. It reminds me of, of, of what God expects of me and what God is looking for and the way I'm kind of con- to, to lead and conduct my life and my leadership. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Actually, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 16. And so if you would, we're going to have it on the screens. If you have a Bible, physical Bible, or an app you want to open up, we're going to read through 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to share with you um, five ongoing intentions that I have as a leader from this passage. So if you would look with me, 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse number 1, it says this. Paul writing to his young pastor, uh, disciple, his mentee, Timothy, and he says this in verse number three, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, that's all specifically towards overseers or pastors, elders. He moves into speaking about this other office in the church, which is deacons. And he says in verse number eight, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober, uh, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now he closes this chapter by kind of talking about why he's actually writing all these instructions. And he says in verse 14, I hope to come to you soon. Okay, Paul writing to Timothy. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. And so let me, let me pray and then we'll kind of, I want to share a few things with you this morning. Father God, we're again uh, excited to be here in your presence and with your people and uh, to just hear from your word what you have spoken to us. And though for some of us, the words written from Paul to Timothy don't apply directly to us, God, there are things that I believe you want us to each learn and apply and grow from, from what you've instructed here. Because this is all for us. Your word is for us. It's for us to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our relationship with you, to understand you better. And to be more like Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that our time together this morning would result in that very thing. And so, would you open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear whatever it is you want to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, I want to give you five ongoing intentions. And I think we've got six on the screen. Okay, it's five. (laughs) Uh, My bad. Five ongoing intentions. Uh, These are really commitments that I that I have made with the Lord based on what he has said is my responsibility as a pastor. But again, I think these are five incredible ongoing intentions for each of you that plays any type of leadership role in your life, whether it's a vocational, relational, or a ministry leadership role, okay? So number one is this. And again, these are my intentions. This is what I want to aspire to. Number one, I will keep aspiring to lead verse number 1 Paul says this the saying is trustworthy okay you can trust this this is this is good you can take it to the bank if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task okay you know what it is to have an aspiration to aspire to something it's it's you're 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 trying to reach out to something you want something you want to attain something it's an aspiration right Some of you have have different aspirations about what you want to do with your life or what kind of occupation or career you want to have. Uh, There's different things that we aspire to, but what Paul says to Timothy is if anyone aspires to this office of a pastor or a spiritual leader or a leader in general, that's a noble task. That's a good thing to desire. And so, you know, as I've read through this, one of the things that I've said is, man, I love what I get to do. I love that I get the opportunity to lead here. But I realize that there will be times and there will be days when I won't be so excited. You know what I'm talking about? Where I will grow tired and I will get discouraged. I will be weary and I may drift and come back. And and here's, here's, in my mind, I want to keep aspiring to lead. Uh, until the Lord calls me out of it, my heart has to be in it. And if you're leading in any area and your heart's not in it, you either need to ask the Lord to man, help you or maybe the best thing to do is to step out of that. Uh, until the Lord calls me out of it, my heart has to be in it because there is, listen, there is too much at stake for my heart not to be in it. But the reality is we're all going to get to that place, right, where we grow weary. We do. And that's why Paul instructs, Galatians 6, 9, what do you do when you grow weary, when you stop aspiring, where you stop having your heart in it? Because some of you are there, whether it's in parenthood or on the job and leadership. There was a day where you aspired to get where you now are, and you have forgotten what you are aspiring to. And I want to remind you what Paul says in Galatians 6, 9. He says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know why he put that in there? Because we all grow weary. And we all need to be reminded, hey, don't grow weary. What you're doing is worth it. What you're doing is good. And God will reward you. And you will see fruit if you stick with it. Another place, Hebrews chapter 12. This is a very familiar passage, but I want to remind you what it says. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. The writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, verse 2, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did what? He endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who did what? endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that consider Jesus, look to Jesus, so that you may not grow what? weary or faint-hearted. You know how you know what we do when we get weary and we get faint of heart? We want to throw in the towel. We don't muster up the strength and go, man, I just need more heart. I need to put my heart into this. No, we, say, we consider Jesus and we look to Jesus who endured all of what he endured for your sake and for mine. And is the only one that can give you the strength to endure and to move out of weariness. And so I will keep aspiring to lead so let me ask you a question this morning just kind of a point of application specifically and and as a church over the decades i remember when i first came to christ it was late in high school i didn't grow up in church but i remember from the moment i i stepped into a baptist church uh, for years one of one of the altar calls okay if you remember altar calls um, one of the things that was was always promoted in an altar call was you want to give your life to jesus do you want to recommit your life to jesus Or do you feel that God is calling you into full-time ministry? Anybody remember that? That used to be week in and week out at at a lot of churches. And we've kind of stopped doing that. But I want to ask the question, because maybe there's some of you in here this morning that God is calling. And I want to ask specifically, do you sense the call? Do you aspire to the office of pastor or elder or missionary? Or church leader I want to ask that because I think it's an important question especially if you're trying to figure out what to do with your future maybe what God is calling you to do is to serve him in ministry God has called all of us to serve him in ministry amen some of us God is calling you to serve him as a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or whatever it might be so I want to ask the question. Is God maybe calling you? But let me ask another question that applies to all of us. Whatever leadership God has called you to in your life, whatever influence, area of influence he's called you to, have you grown weary? As a parent, as a boss, as a ministry leader, as a pastor, have you grown tired? Then look to Jesus. Consider Jesus again. Let him breathe life into you. Whatever you aspire to, if you've forgotten what you were aspiring to, go back to that place. And remember, keep aspiring to lead. Okay, that's that's the first thing. Here's number two. I will live above reproach. I will live above reproach. Verse number two and three, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Other translations use the word blameless. And then it goes through a a few items here. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Really, this idea of being above reproach, I feel like is is kind of this overarching description of a lot of of what we see in verses 2 and 3. Really, all those things have to do with a person's character and integrity, right? It has to do with the inner person. Being blameless, this, this, this idea of blameless is nothing that anybody can grab a hold of, right? Nothing that in your life that people can see and grab a hold of and accuse you of or, or, or um, anything that would disqualify you from leading others. Because here's the deal, leadership in, in leadership, character counts. I would say it may be the most important thing when it comes to leadership. Not how skilled you are, not how qualified you are, but what kind of character do you have? Like, have you ever seen, I always, have to, I always drift into sports. Have you ever seen teams where a player is so incredibly talented, but their character is the worst? Have you ever seen that? And it's so frustrating. They're like, well, I'm not a role model. Absolutely you are because kids are looking up to you. I don't care if you think you're a role model or not. You are influencing others in character. Leadership begins and ends with character. Being a man or woman of God, a man or woman of integrity, it matters. And listen, it's less about reputation and image, which is a lot of of what our world is about in the 21st century, right? It's about image it's about reputation it's about social media especially having this picture perfect life it's what i would refer to for me personally as being the insta pastor you know what i'm saying where i'm like i am the perfect um, carefree no sin no struggles no problems in my life kind of pastor that i portray on social media right that's that it's it's not about reputation and image this idea of being blameless And above reproach, it's more about protecting your platform of witness to others. It's it's more about protecting this platform so that what I do and what I say and the kind of life I live doesn't shut down others from hearing or seeing Jesus through my life. Let, Let me put it this way Purity provides you with a platform. Purity provides you with a platform. Let me say this, because here's the reality. We're all broken people, right? We all deal with our stuff. And this isn't about perfection, but it's about pursuing purity in our life. Because listen, if you've messed up, and we all have, if you're broken, and we all are, God will use your brokenness. He will use your brokenness to minister to others. But at the same time, don't buy into the lie that you have to go to and experience the depths of sin to be able to relate to and minister to other people you don't case in point jesus right the perfect man without sin he he didn't have to experience adultery to minister to the woman at the well right he had purity and he was able to minister and so god will use your brokenness but at the same time God will use your purity as a platform to minister to others and witness to other, others. Character is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so my question for you is this, are you pursuing a blameless life? Are you pursuing purity in your life? Not just outwardly, but inwardly, are you seeking to please God with your life, the person in public and the person behind closed doors? I want to share a few verses with you. 2 Samuel 22, verse 33, David is singing praises to God, and, and here's what he says. He said, this God is my strong refuge, and he has made my way, what, blameless. Listen, God is the only blameless one. Jesus is the only blameless one and he is the one who makes our way blameless okay you got that you cannot live a perfect sinless life God is the only one who is blameless and can give us the power to make our way blameless Psalm 119 verse 1 again the psalmist says this blessed are those whose way is what blameless catch this next part who walk in the law of the Lord in other words it's not about living a perfect life it's about living a life that is pursuing, it's walking in the law, and the ways of Jesus. It's pursuing Christ, seeking after his ways. One more, a couple more verses. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and what? Blameless before Him. He chose us not just to be in Christ, but to be blameless. So, you know, some of you are like, oh, it's impossible. I could never live a life that is above reproach, that is blameless. No, no, no. If you have been called to Christ, it is possible because He's chosen us and called us to be this way. He is the one who empowers us to this. Philippians 2, verse 15. Paul again says this, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's what he says. You are called to be blameless, innocent, so that in the midst of darkness you would shine as light. This, listen, y'all, this is not about being perfect and sinless. It's about having a life that is pure because in the midst of of a dark world we are lights that shine and point people to jesus the true light amen and so that requires a life that is pursuing christ that is pursuing holiness and blamelessness and so one of my ongoing intentions is that i want to live above reproach. there are decisions that i will make there are things that i will do and will not do because I want to remain above reproach. There are things that I will not do that some people will go, that is crazy talk. It's kind of like the Mike Pence or Billy Graham rule from years ago where I will not be in a room with a female alone because I don't want anybody to accuse me of anything weird. And some people will go, that's too far. Okay, that's okay. But my conviction is I want to live above reproach. I don't want people to accuse me of like, Hey, what's going on with your pastor and so-and-so? They were meeting in private in this closed-door room. What's going on in there? I want to try to do everything I can. Listen, people talk and all that kind of nonsense, but I don't want to give anything that they can grab a hold of easily. And as Christ followers, we're to seek to live lives that are above reproach, as leaders in particular. Okay, so that's aspiration or intention number two. Number three is this. I will love and lead my family well. And this is where most of my conviction comes in. (laughs) Because the one way you can feel like a failure is if you're a parent, right? There are times where you're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. There's times where you're like, I'm doing a good job. And there's times where you're like, I am a loser, (laughs) right? And this is the one point in all of history that my kids would be tempted to say amen. (laughs) Dad blows it. Do you know what my intention is? Man, I want the people who know me best to respect me most. I want to lead my family well. Is there pollen in the air? Something's going on here. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Leadership begins at home. Man, man, there's been too many leaders throughout the years, throughout the decades, throughout the history of the church and government, across the board who are upstanding leaders in public, and all out of nowhere, they fall. It wasn't out of nowhere. It's because they weren't leading at home. And their leadership was different in public than it was at home. And it's, it's what I would call, there was this old booklet I remember years ago called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And it was all about this idea of the urgent versus the important. Listen, in life, when it comes to managing your time and and all the priorities that you have there are going to be things that are urgent that are immediate that need your attention like right now they can't wait and those urgent things will always crowd out the important things sometimes getting our house in order and taking care of bills and making sure Everybody gets to where they need to be. That's the urgent that's calling out to me. But you know what the most important thing is? For me to love my kids and my wife well and to lead my home. And if we're not careful, we succumb to the urgent that seem like priorities when, man, we neglect the important. And we may have provided financially and all these other ways for our kids, but have we loved them and have we served them well. And so the important to me and apparently to god and to paul was lead your home well because if you can't do that then you are not qualified to lead the people of god and in your leadership whatever area it is man can i urge you don't just think about leading others first of all here is how leadership could go lead should go lead yourself lead your family lead others don't neglect leading yourself to the throne of grace and the ways of God then leading your family and then leading others and so sometimes I will make decisions I will do things or not do things because as much as I love the the church my family's a priority to me and if I don't lead them well you don't want me to be your pastor because I won't lead you well so man, here is the question for all of us: Are you leading yourself, and are you leading your family well? And if no, what what, what step do you need to take today? Do you need to talk to somebody? And, and can I say this? We all are broken people, as I said earlier, and we all have relational messes that we deal with. Marriage, parenting, man, it doesn't get any more real and difficult than those areas. In those areas, we can try to hide all we want, but they will surface. And I just want to say this. If you are struggling in your parenting or in your marriage, can I just say this? There is no shame in that. And there is no shame in asking for help. And I think some of us avoid asking for help because we go, oh, man, if I ask for help with my marriage or with my kids I am admitting that I am am messed up and I am broken. Guess what? We are all messed up and broken and need help. Amen? Amen? The worst thing you could do is not ask for help. That's why we have the body of Christ. And so don't feel shame in asking for help. You need that. We all need that. We need one another in this. And so one of my intentions, number three, is I will love and lead my family well. Okay, number four is this. Uh, Number four, I will walk in humility. I will walk in humility. If you look at verses 6 and 7 as Paul is giving instruction to Timothy, he says this. He must not be a recent convert, okay, or a new believer, a new follower of Christ. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. In other words, those who are outside of the family of God, those who are outside of faith in Jesus. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, what Paul is saying here is that there's a couple ways to fall. One is through conceit, in other words, being puffed up, thinking, man, I have arrived. I know what I'm doing. I am, I am on the scene and I'm the hero falling through conceit or through disgrace. In other words, my testimony among, um, among people, among outsiders is, is not good. It, it, there are things that litter my life that has caused my name to be a disgrace to, uh, to Jesus and to the people of God. And both of these things, whether it's being puffed up or, or through disgrace, both of these stem from pride right? It's either I think too much of myself or I think too little of others. And both of these things are associated with the devil who fell because of of pride. And so making this an ongoing intention, I will walk in humility, this is taking a different posture. This is taking a posture not of pride, not of being puffed up, not of thinking of others, but this is a, a posture of humility, of being a servant being a servant. In other words, God is Lord, God is King, and I am His servant. I serve Him. I serve at His pleasure. I have not arrived. I am a servant, and I'm here to serve people, and I'm here to serve most of all the Lord. And can I give you permission this morning? Can I give you permission to do something for me? If I ever get too big for my britches, okay? I don't know if they say that in the South. That sounds like something they would say in the South, right? (laughs) Okay? (laughs) If I ever get too big for my britches, would you help me and tell me? In love, in humility, in grace, would you help me? Because you know what? I can't see what I can't see. And you can't see what you can't see. And so I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission if you see a lack of humility in me, please, in, in, in a spirit of love, come to me. I am not above that. You are not above that. We all need that. And so here's the question. Would others say humility is a mark of your life? Or would they laugh <laughs> when you ask that? If I were to ask somebody about you and your leadership or your influence or the way that you live your life, would humility be something that marks your life or would it be pride? Would it be this puffed up arrogance and conceit and this know-it-all? Would that be what marks you? Do you have anybody who can call you out, who can call you back to humility have you given anybody permission to do that? Because chances are, if you haven't given somebody permission, they probably won't mess with it. They probably won't, they probably won't talk to you. They'll just let it go. Unless they're a, a true friend. Pro, and, you know, Proverbs, all throughout Proverbs, I just want to show you three quick verses. It speaks a lot about pride and humility. Just a couple quick verses. Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before what? Destruction. In a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18 12, it says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. It's lifted up. But humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29:23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Here's what it says: if you are you will be low, you will be brought low one way or another. <laughs> you decide. If you are proud, guess what? Your pride will bring you down. But if you will humble yourself, if you will express humility before God and people, you will be lifted up. But you decide. And you know what? I've said this multiple times already. I've only preached here a few times. I hate politics. One of the reasons I hate politics so much I hate both parties, if I'm being honest, right? I see, it on, and I see this on both sides. I agree with some issues on both sides, but here's the deal. Here's why I'm so put off by politics these days is because there's so much pride on both parts. You know what I'm saying? And that's all I'm going to go into. But there's this hubris and this arrogance that God doesn't call us to as leaders. And so when I see arrogance in a leader, I step back and go, I don't know what you believe, but you're going to fall. Maybe not soon and in the eyes of people, but God will bring you low. And so I'm stepping back. Because you know what's coming? What comes before pride or after pride? What comes, before, what comes after pride? Destruction. I'm stepping away from that, right? So here's the commitment. Here's the intention. I will walk in humility. Here's here's the fifth thing. Here's the fifth thing. I will never lose the all. Verse 16, you come down. He kind of ends this chapter in what seems like a strange way. He says in verse 16, great indeed. It's like he takes this detour, right? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he begins to, to, to speak about Jesus and this mystery of godliness, He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the the redemptive story of Jesus. He came and he gave his life. He was taken up into glory. He was raised from the dead, taken up in the glory. And this is how Paul ends this chapter. And it's kind of like, what is this all about? He's talking about leaderships and qualifications for elders and for deacons and then he says great indeed we confess is this mystery of godliness this this whole story of Jesus he he, he, here's here's what I see he's talking to spiritual leaders and he's saying hey here's at the end of the day we confess this mystery is great this is amazing this is incredible that Jesus came to us and after all is said and done, man, don't lose the awe of who God is and what he has done. And one thing you have to know about me as a leader is the awe of God. This is, this is a conviction for me. The awe of God. When I say awe, I'm talking about awesome. I'm awestruck. He is amazing. The glory of all that he has done. The all of God should drive all of my life and all of your life. Everything that you and I do, it should be driven and pushed by the all of God. In other words, God, I am in awe of who you are and what you have done, how much you love me. And that drives me to do everything I do, not because I have to, not because I need to, but because of all that you have done for me. So the question this morning is this, does the worship of God guide my life right now? Does the worship of God guide your life right now? Or is the worship of God strictly one hour a week while the other 167 hours are consumed by worship of self? all of your life characterized by worship of God? Or is it just an hour a week where we come to worship and then the rest of the week we worship ourselves? 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this, "With we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, uh, this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. In other words, what this is saying is, hey, looking at the mirror at yourself can be helpful, but that's not what is ultimately gonna change you. What changes you, what changes me, what transforms us is looking at Jesus. If you're not in awe of who Jesus is this morning, if you're not in awe of who God is this morning, it's because you're not looking closely enough. And if you would look, man, there's so much to stand in awe of. And the good news is this, he's waiting for you and for me to turn our gaze upon him. And when we do, he changes us. When we do, He transforms us. Here is my the big idea this morning. It all kind of falls on this. My best leadership only comes as a result of my following Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, this morning, we're grateful that you are an amazing God incredible God who has come to us when our sin separated us from you when there was no way that we could make our way to you when no ladder was high enough for, our, for us to climb our way to you, you came to us and you're always available and ready for us to come to you, to turn back to you God, it doesn't matter how good we are, because you are good. And so Lord, this morning, we turn our attention, we turn our gaze towards you, we fix our eyes upon you. Would you help us to be the leaders that you've called us to be? Would you help us to have the influence that you've called us to have? Would you help every person in this room to be the mother, the father, the pastor, the, the manager, the coach, the teacher, the friend that you've called us to be in pursuit of you, the only one who can make us blameless, the only one that can give us the power to lead well and to love others well. And so, God, for every person in this room, would you meet us where we're at? Would you help us in our hearts and right where we sit and where we stand this morning to respond? In faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.